Okay, let's pray, and then we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing. In the one-year lectionary, it is Transfiguration Week. And so this uh, little book that we prayed from is from um, just that. So the reading. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians. Christ our God, who was transfigured upon the mountain and did manifest your glory to your disciples as they were able to bear it, shed forth your everlasting light upon us, your servants, that we may behold your glory and enter into your sufferings and proclaim you to the world. O you who give light in the darkness and are yourself the light of men, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Some hints of First Peter in that prayer. That we may behold your glory and enter, enter into your sufferings. There's a little bit of that today in, uh, in chapter 4, and we're going to hit that point for sure. But then he ends the prayer by saying, You who gives light in the darkness, Right? First Peter called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we've talked about a lot in First Peter. Last time we were together, which was a very long time ago, uh, some of you guys have the handout I've seen of the last time we were together. And not that... Yes, Mary? Uh, there are some next to the attendants over there. The one that we talked about last time was the... Uh, the one that says, I believe on top. And there's some images on the back, an icon, a few paintings regarding Christ's descent into hell. We talked about that and what um, Peter meant by it. And we came to the conclusion that anytime Christ or anytime God is present in Situations that involve chains or prisons, he breaks them asunder. Right? So, um, and I like that conclusion. But, um, whatever he went to do, and whatever that looked like, it was good. Right? Christ doesn't torment people. And so we can't say, hey, he went over there to. To see what happens when you don't do what I say. We have that ourselves, right? That's the law. But um, Christ, that's not his primary job. So we go from that end of chapter 3 into chapter 4. In chapter 4, at least the beginning part, what we're going to look at today, sounds a lot like everything else that we've been talking about, just in different words. So I want to see what he has to say to us then. It begins with suffering and then beautifully talks about the Christian life. So let's read. Let's read. 1 Peter 4. And today we're going to go up to verse 11. We're going to do that chunk. Here we go. 
Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I think we should stop there. Then uh, we'll get to the rest of it if we get to the rest of it. So, Page, I, I titled this, You Are, You're Not Who You Were. We have a little bit of that today in the, uh, in the reading that we just read. You are not who you were. So, in chapter 4, Peter begins with, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. If you have a Bible that looks like mine, uh, you don't have to turn the page to look at chapter 3, 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. But if you do so, turn the page. If you have to turn the page, 3, 18. How does that start? For Christ once, or Christ also suffered once for sin. Yeah, he doesn't want to let you forget that Christ suffered too. A few verses later, it seems like he says the same thing. It means something different. He's talking about for sins, and then here he's talking about suffering in the flesh. But Christ suffered. Christ suffered. How many times have we heard that already in 1 Peter? Right. One thing that we talked about a lot was when he talks about servants and slaves. Right? You're suffering, but look who also suffered. Christ suffered. Right? This keeps coming back. And now it's chapter 4, and it's the beginning and he says it again. Obviously, Peter's not writing in chapters, right? We talk about that. So he can't say he starts chapter 4 with, no, you know, it was one continuous letter. It was split up later. But in the way we talk, um, we can say it that way. But in chapter 4, it begins that way. So my first point is Christ actually suffered in the flesh. Now, this could have been a response to people who believed that, who suffered on the cross? What have you heard about? Some people thought that Jesus was really a man and he was just a spirit. Exactly. There's a guy over there, there's something over there that looks like is a man, but can't be. Why? Now these people don't want to... <laughs> Here's the thing about heresies, right? We talked about this before. Nobody who is preaching a heresy, very few people who preach heresies, 
think that they are preaching heresies, right? That's the, that's the trouble. Yeah, right. It's, uh, what, what have I heard saying? That, like, here is, you know, here's a, a point. And then here is, like, orthodox preaching, true preaching. And then here is heresy. Right here, it's very close. But if you un start unwinding things, it becomes further and further and further away. Somebody, uh, somebody explained it to me, I think at the seminary, like that. So, why couldn't it have been Christ in the flesh who suffered on the cross, right? These people who are going that way. Just, yeah. Why are they saying it? Yes, exactly. Just think about it rationally. Don't think about it too deeply. It's not, that, it's not, it's not a difficult answer. But because we never think about it, because we've been taught right, we never think about, hey, why would other people say that? So it's maybe not a question that you've thought of before, but it's, I think it's a good question. God cannot die. Never would he put himself up there in flesh and bone for him to suffer this way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's offensive. God doing that to his son? No way. It can't be real. It can't They don't disagree. They don't say that it's not real. What I'm saying is they can't, it can't actually be flesh and bone. Right? So these people aren't, these people who would say this, they're not, they don't have bad intentions, but they're just saying God would never also put himself this low. That's why it looks like a man. Right? And they even say that about not just the cross, but about everyday Jesus. Touching paralytics and touching people who are sick and touching the dead and doing this and doing that and sitting around with, uh, with tax collectors. God would never do that. So it looks like it's, looks like it's a man, but it's not really. So this is one thing that Peter might be responding to, right? This, this chatter might be going around already in his time. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So point one, he's not a spirit or just looked like a person, but a real man whose flesh was pierced by nails. And why is this important? Could this also be a comfort for listeners? For the listeners. So I have this first quote. I have a couple of quotes uh, in today, but this is the first one. For who would have time to think about sinning if he were being crucified, stoned, thrown to the lions, burnt at the stake, buried alive with scorpions, or whatever? Would such a person not be made much more focused on obtaining an eternal crown of glory as soon as the sufferings of this kind were over? Peter exhorts us all to have that same attitude. So he says, if you go back to chapter 4, For whoever has suffered in the flesh 
has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So the suffering in the flesh, how does it apply to us? Because he does start talking about Jesus. But then he says, arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh. He's not saying only Jesus suffered in the flesh. Now he's saying for whoever suffered in the flesh. Now it's an open game. What does that mean? Let's talk about sins. We don't talk about sins hurting our flesh very much. Addictions, lusts, hurting others physically, right? People do that. That's actually hurting you in the flesh, right? We see that with addictions. That's the clearest one. Somebody drinks too much. Somebody smokes too much. Somebody does drugs. Somebody's in this life of this spiral. It's very clear that they are hurt. They're hurting in the flesh. But when that person comes to, and they are presented with the gospel, and they actually see this, they can actually turn around and say, how hurt have I been in the flesh because of my sins? Peter's going to talk about that a little later. We read it might have gone over your head because we read so much. It's okay. We're going to go back to it. But when you suffer in the flesh and when you see what that suffering has done to your flesh, do you really want to keep doing it? Right. The, bow, the weights of pleasure and physically hurting yourself. Right. When you get to see how physically hurt you are, Right. We have those shows on TV, right? Intervention or my 500-pound life or something like that, right? Those, those are sad. Those are sad things. Nobody's happy that they're in that situation, but they're hurting in the flesh. People are mirrors held up to them with friends and with family. Can that cause us to cease from sin? So Peter says, For the time is past, sorry, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What does that mean? Translate that to me, for us. For the time is past, for the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What does that actually mean? What's he saying? Just in that little phrase. You spent enough time doing that. You've done enough, right? I think that's what I've put for number two here. You've done enough of that in your past. Yeah, that wasn't that's enough of that. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's even better than I put. That's enough of that. I love this. I love that Peter is just so... This is not the first time he said that. How has he said this before? I'm not expecting you to read my mind nor to know what my favorite Bible verse is, but it is my favorite Bible verse. 
How has he said this before? In 1 Peter. In different words. Using, using an image, actually. Like, how's that working out for you? How's that work? What did you say? He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Forget. So I love that Peter doesn't say you're all perfect and you've been all perfect and look at how the world is so terrible. That's not what he does at all. I love that he points to you have to remember how terrible things were without Christ for you to know all of the beautiful things that he's done. You have like, And so this is just, if you just read this, you'll gloss over it. But it's just pointing back to what he keeps saying, what he said before. For the time that is past suffices for doing what they do or they want to do. And then he has a list. Peter acknowledges, this is point A, that his listeners were pagans or unbelievers earlier in their lives. He reminds them of that. He doesn't want to forget what their lives looked like. He actually wants to live wants them to live differently. For this, right, we've heard this phrase twice or four, three or four, two or three times in, four, in First Peter. For this you have been called. And so later on, we've read it already, to live in the Spirit the way God does. I've seen Christians in my short time that are very embarrassed by their life in the world or when they didn't know Christ or when they weren't part of the church. And then they became part of the church and they were converted, they were baptized, Christ lives in them, but they completely forgot or would not speak about the things in the past. And I'm trying to figure out if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because there are churches, and Pastor uh, Nelson mentioned that yesterday in his sermon here uh, at the church for the pastor's retreat that we had. He's saying that in certain churches, you have uh, testimonials, right? Folks get up with a microphone and they say, this is what happened in my life and it was terrible, blah, 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 blah. But now Jesus is here. It's the marvelous light. Right? And so there are some churches that folks aren't ashamed to say how bad things were before. But some Christians are. They try to forget it. When you forget, you are not thankful for what Christ has done. Because then you say, it's always been this way. I've never not been a Christian. I've never not been holy. I've never, you become proud. Right? So I think I learned this from Pastor Bruzik where he says that memory and faith and humility are essentially the same thing. Because if you have your memory of what your life was then and what it is now, you're humbled to say, hey man, look what Christ pulled me out of. And then you have faith in him because he's the only one that pulled you out of that. You didn't pull you out of that. 
The world didn't pull you out of it. They were dragging you down. Memory, humility, faith. Right, and that's what Peter's talking about. Yes. True, but we shouldn't let our past define us. We have repented. Exactly. And God doesn't want us to go back and review our life and how bad we were. Precisely. Because we're forgiving. You put it better, better than I did. As Paul says, may it never be what you say, right? For us to be stuck. Oh, but I'm actually not that good because of what I did this in the past. Right? Did God really forgive me for what I did that right? So I see what you're saying. If you keep thinking about what you did in the past, then you're always stuck over there. That's not what I mean. Thank you for clarifying. Yes, 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 yes. That's not what I mean at all. Look at this, as Jesus says, look at this new life that I now have. I'm no longer doing what the Gentiles. But the list is big. Man, is the list big on what, on what Peter writes, so what they do out there in the world, what the Gentiles do. Right? That's verse 3. Verse 3 is all about the fun that the Gentiles are having in the world. And then verse 4. Okay, so we talked about uh, 2b. How do the Gentiles live? But now verse 2. I mean, uh, uh, point 2b1. How, what do they want from us Christians? On verse, uh, verse 4 there. With respect to this, they are surprised. Surprised. That's not a word that comes up a lot in the, uh, in the New Testament. Surprise. The word surprise. I wonder how I'm going to do some research on how many times that word actually comes up. They are surprised at the fact that you're not playing along. What does that mean? Read into this. Yes. Christian, you know, they don't live in this world the same way, and for somebody who is engaging in things that they feel like are bringing such pleasure, right. but it looks so odd. Yeah. And also, it's <coughs> probably for them to see somebody not choosing that. Right. Yeah, right. The coolest thing about this verse is that Peter's saying, you were doing this before. <laughs> now they're surprised you're not. Because if they have known you since you were a kid and you haven't been doing this since you were a kid, there's no surprise. They're just going to be like, yeah, this, they've never done this. But they're surprised. Because now they're like, oh, now what's going on here? They don't look the same. They're not speaking the same. They're not doing the same things. So how do they treat Christians? They're not just surprised, right? Because it's like, oh, they're surprised. They're surprised you guys are so good and they like you. That's not where the verse goes. They are surprised, and so they do what? Malign. Anybody have a different than an ESV, and does it say something different? Abuse. Heap? Heap. Like, just keep, just keep piling on. Man. Yeah, right? Right, malign. We don't use this word very often, but... Yeah, we know the word malignant. You just add that at the end. But what does this essentially mean for our Latin scholars in the room? Mal or Spanish. Bad. Bad. What's another word for bad? A biblical word for bad? Thank you. 
evil, right? Sinful. Right, so they malign you. They're actually pointing to you and saying, you're bad. For not doing that. For not doing the bad, the bad things. <laughs> right? This is, First Peter's not supposed to be a stand-up routine. But, and I don't mean that at all, but it's funny. In that sense, it's ironic that Peter's saying, you're doing the good God has you to do. And you're not doing the bad. And guess what they're going to call you? Bad. Right? When you're touching good, you're going to be called bad. Just in these little verses, you have all of this in. Then you get the phrase in B here, to be, to be, right here, that probably many of us have heard. Do you think you're too good for us? What, you're not coming to this thing that we want you to come to? You're not going to join us when we do this? You're not going to say this thing also? You're going to take yourself out of a situation? What? Holier than thou? We've all had experiences like that. Every single one of us have had experiences like that. Where it's usually in a group that people want us to join in, right? That's what he's talking about that specifically. Most of these things that he lists on verse 3 are things that usually have other people involved in it, right? If it's, it says drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties, you don't have a drinking party just on your own. That's just, you can drink on your own. But here he's talking about with other people, right? And then these other people who may, you have... Maybe these people know exactly what these things are. This list that he has, some of these people sitting in the pews might have been there last year or three months ago. Now they're sitting in the pew, right? Jesus has come to them. And um, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery. Flood of debauchery. That's such an interesting word. And they malign you. Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit. The are you too good for us? What do you think about that? What, what has been your experience with the are you too good for us? Anybody has thoughts about this? Again, not participating. Not Yes, Ms. Rosenwinkel. I think today it's crossed... I mean, it's easy to say you have debauchery and brokenness and all that. That's pretty out there. But it's the more subtle uh, things where now what was once considered bad, just culturally, whether you were religious or not. But now bad is called good, mm -hmm. and good is called bad. And so now I am intolerant if I don't agree with abortion. I'm intolerant, I'm uncaring, I'm all these bad things because I'm not agreeing with the culture. Uh, and it's, it just becomes a, a real rubbing point because nobody wants to be on the outs. Right. <laughs> harder. It's harder to combat or to stand for 
touching good uh, when the pressure is so great. It's not like, you know, we're going to go out and do a line of coke today. Right. Like, no. Well, yeah. I'm not going to do that, but, you know, but uh, just just the idea that, you know, or how could you be against that? How could you, you know, you're so uncaring. You don't care about the woman. You don't care about this. You know, mm, yeah. it's like, uh, it's really a, really mind blowing. <laughs> because our culture has changed so Yeah. Much. So quickly, so quickly. Just so like the key word. Mm -hmm. You feel a little whipped in the head like, wasn't it just 10 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everybody kind of agreed with yeah. the that's a bad thing. You shouldn't do not bad, but I mean it's yeah, it's an evil thing. You don't do that. Right. Interesting. But now it's like interestingly enough, uh, people and you, you if you if you know uh, what's going on in the comedy world, uh, this is very I see a parallel between the comedy world and just this, because you got these comedians who weren't Christian comedians, they're just regular comedians, who can't say what they said 10 years ago, or five years ago, and they're just making jokes. Like these guys probably don't care what people do, and if they go do this and they do that, I mean, they just care about people sitting in the seats and laughing and making money, like that's their thing, right? It's a business. But they can't talk about certain things, right? There was a, uh, I didn't forget, uh, SNL lady, uh, not Veep, but uh, oh, 30 Rock. What's her name? Tina Fey. She's hilarious. And she said, and she's not like one of the, you know, she's not like a, <laughs> she's not the face of conservative Christianity here. It, but she said in an interview, she goes, every time I do comedy, I'm stepping on eggshells. Who's not going to like me for a joke that I made? And, I'm, and that's the thing. These people, that's like their profession is just making jokes, picking on people, this and that, this and that. And then coming back to the church, you know, you stand on these things that you stand on good. And all these, the, the wind is around you and it's forcing you to, or telling you to, or pushing you to, change what is good, or our definitions of good. But when we don't change those definitions, we're maligned. Heaped, heaped abuse. I like that better. Maligned sounds fancier, but heaped abuse is so much more visual. Heaped abuse, yeah. And it's not easier. It's not getting easier. It won't get easier. So this is something that, that's why I think First Peter is so beautiful in the sense of it being so timely. Milena and I were reading through 1 Thessalonians. Um, we went through the first and second chapter, and it's just a very joyful letter. I mean, there's a lot of joy here too, but uh, in that church, in that town, there aren't some of the things that Peter's talking about, like this heaped abuse, or these, you know, people trying to push left and right and calling you to do this and calling you. So there's a different tone here in 1 Peter, which I think is very interesting. Um, that is very, very, very relevant to us when people are redefining good. What they say it is, I mean, look, everything's relative now. <laughs> right. There's no absolute. It's like, 
Yeah. This is what I say it is, as opposed to. And it changes. It changes. Yeah. If you think it's black and white or good or bad, that that's that you're not very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. You're not with the times. Exactly. When something's um, I was talking to this with my, uh, my high schoolers this past Sunday regarding different legalistic religions out there that are growing in numbers. I was specifically talking about Islam. It's very regimented. So these young people all over Europe and North America who their, their base has been completely taken out in terms of things that they can grasp onto, things that can give them a direction. The church has not been historically in the last 70 years a bastion of firmness. Right? We see that left and right in this church, that church, that denomination, this denomination. Then they see Islam and they say, man, you see, you know, their whole thing is about obedience. Right? That's the, the order. order, obedience. I can dress, I can only dress this way. I can only, you know, eat this. I can only go here. I can only say this. I can, there are all of these things to live an obedient life, right? Because that's, that's how you gain salvation, right? You're going to be judged on your obedience. And it's giving specifically young men a way to live life. So the desire that these young, it's usually young men, have is not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. They want order in this world that's upside down. I've talked to some people about this. Right? People that have been approached. People that have questions. There's order here too. Precisely. But what's the problem? The problem is that churches don't want to be maligned. So they say, well, you know what, we don't. It's not good when we're Yeah, it's not good when we're maligned. So maybe maybe we'll take this. Maybe we'll take that. Maybe we'll start speaking like this. So they start adding some things. And when you start adding some things, your arms get too heavy and you have to let some things go. What are the things that you're letting go? So that's the where where Islam has had a easier time not letting things go, right? We talked about this in my class in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago, unapologetic. They just say, this is what we do, this is how we live, like it or not, take it or leave it. How can the church say that in a Jesus way? We're less likely to push back in the society on Islamic things. We're more afraid of their reaction. Yeah. Whereas Christians are more giving. Yeah. So it's very interesting how we... Christianity has been made fun of for 2,000 years, right? Without, like, much punishment. I just watched the end, just to your point, who actually made fun of Christians, yeah. but was, wouldn't make fun of... And they basically said, well, I'm not going to say it, because I... I they right. actually said, I'm not going to make fun of the Islams because I'm afraid of what they're going to do. Right. So you're kind of like, that's very interesting. That was super interesting. Right. And they said it in a jokey way, but everybody sure. understood that culturally, the Christians will take it, but the, the 
but the Muslim, I thought that was very... Right. It's basically what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so going back to malign, and going back to order, Peter is calling for an orderly life. Not because Peter likes order, but because God does. This is what uh, Pastor Bruzek likes to say also, that in the beginning, there was chaos. And God came in and put some order in the chaos. Created this, created that, created that. And he saw it and it was good. The opposite of mal, right? Evil. Right? And so order is actually a very good thing. And this is what Peter is calling for. So we live in the spirit as God as as God does. This is in the bottom here. What does this mean? We have the spirit of God put in us in our baptism. He comes to dwell. Right? If you keep your ears open when some water gets splashed on Arthur very soon, somebody's going to say to him, Depart, unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. Here it is. Here's a gift. That's what we say in our baptismal liturgies. So then in the back, Peter shows us what living in the Spirit looks like. So let's read that. What does a beautiful life look like starting on verse 7 the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter talks about the ordered life. What's it based on? What's the ordered life based on? What's the big word? Grace. Grace. That's a good one. Above all, keep loving. Above all, keep loving. Above all, say that 15 times. Above all, keep loving. Above all, keep loving. Above all, keep loving. Why is that messy? Why does that sound messy to somebody who wants order in their life? Why is that messy? Above all, keep loving. They're messy. We have to love people who are messy. Might be very hard to do. This is the difference between the church and not the church. We, we step back. This is the difference between Jesus and a lot of other people. A lot of other gods. Look to your right and look to your left. This is who Jesus chose to love. Messy 
people. And then he tells us, hey, I'm putting myself in you, and now you love all of these beautiful, messy people around you. This is where things begin to fall apart for some people. Oh, but this isn't, not everybody, oh, not everybody likes what I like, not everybody thinks what I think. It's very much easier in a religion that you're told, hey, you can only like this, you can only eat this, you can only wear this, you can only go in these places. Everybody's, okay. The church is not necessarily like that. And so, when God, when the church is a messy place, right? What does uh, Pastor Bruzek likes to say? You're all bums, but you're our bums. Right? You're Jesus bums. You know what I'm saying? So in the sense of this place is it's hard to say, oh, I just love everybody. Right? Because people's lives are not as orderly. But how do we say those things in a way and act in a way that Jesus, act around it, uh, Jesus acted around disorderly people, right? people who are not accepting, not accepted. So let's read that verse 7 again. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you're not self-controlled and your mind isn't on the right things, good luck with your prayers. See how you're going to focus on them instead of anything, everything else. Peter shows what the living in the Spirit looks like. Praying, loving, welcoming, serving, speaking. Use everything God has given you. Use it for others, for the glory of God, through Jesus Christ. So then the last section, or the last two sections. Christian freedom. We've all heard this. It's one of Martin Luther's uh, most famous phrases. A Christian is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. So in the reading that we just did, how do you apply that first phrase? That first free man, Lord of all, subject to none. In the stuff we all read, who are we not lords to? Who are we not subject to? The flesh. But more specifically, you're right, 100% right. But what is he saying in that first chunk of chapter, of, uh, chapter 4? What are we not subject to? Or who is not Lord over us? Look at verse 3. That's right. Those people aren't Lord over you. You're Christian. Hey, come over. Let's do all these things. They're not Lords over you. You are subject to none. Right, so you read that and you're, oh yeah, I am holier than thou. But then you read the second, which is not true, which is true. The first line is true. We are subject to none. Right? The world doesn't tell us what to do. It's a beautiful thing. 
But then a Christian is utterly a dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. Now, what does he mean by that? Look at the second part of what we just read in 1 Peter. Right? How does it start with verse 8? And then verse 9? And then verse 10? Those suddenly seem like you're a servant. And you get to pick who you're a servant to? Starts with the church, right? You serve her, and you serve her, and you serve her, and you serve her. Why do you serve each other? Primarily? Okay, where do we get that? And what was he? A servant of all, right? So for little Christs, we're everybody's servant. But who is Lord over Jesus? Ooh, now this is a big question. If you answer this wrong, we might question if you're, if you're part of the church or not. Who is, servant, who is Lord over Jesus? Okay, that was a trick question. What did you say? No one. Right? God, yes. God the Father. But in terms of when we say Jesus is Lord, right? That's the church's baseline confession. When you say Jesus is Lord, then you ask, okay, is he the Lord or is he a Lord? Is there Lord over Jesus? He's Lord of all. So he fits Luther's description as well. Yeah, right? Hey man, this guy's a servant of all because in John 3.16 it says he died for all. This is a servant. He died for all. He's serving everybody. But he's also, if you don't confess... Jesus is Lord. Like, that's the baseline entrance to the church. Right? So, he's servant of all because you believe that he humbled himself into a form of a servant, but you also believe that he rules and reigns over everything. So, when is a person free? Doesn't it seem like Freedom is doing whatever I want to do. I still consider myself a Christian, but, you know, I'm involved in debauchery and sexual immorality and drinking parties and this and this and this because I am Lord of all. Right? That's what Luther says. Subject to none. Right? Is that what Luther's saying? Right? We could easily get that and just do this and just twist it. So the world often says about Christians, you have no fun, you can't do what you want, can't do anything. So where is the Christian's freedom? Love God, love your neighbor, and go have some fun. If you love God and your neighbor, you live in the Spirit the way God does, and your life reflects that. E. Not only do the Gentiles wonder at the change in you, not only does it make them ashamed, but they also attack you for it. For the worship of God is an abomination for sinners. Of course, the word sinners here is being used for sinners outside the church. People can get angry at Christians for not thinking, speaking, and acting as they do because you're not free you're bound in chains by what this church is telling you you can or can't do 
right. Yes. I think where maybe it's just American Christians, I don't know. But you can take this same phrase in one and say Christians can get angry at other people. Not thinking, speaking, <laughs> acting as they do. Yeah. I'm like, oh dear. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love this. Be, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Because if I get upset by the news or the whatever, my mind will just go right back to my like little control freak ways. Well, that's only because we're sinners. Right. Yeah. But we're all oh, sorry. Right. We're also saints. Uh, as somebody in the, uh, at the seminary said, we are saints who sometimes sin. <laughs> you know, that's a good way. Because if you say you're saint and sinner, just in that sense, we can understand, oh, you know, as long as I sin 50%, only 50% of the time, then I can be a saint the other 50% of the time. But if you think about it, you know, I'm a saint who sometimes sin. You talking about yourself? No. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it is true too. But you find scriptural uh, uh, basis for what you just said, and then we'll talk next week. Yes. I feel like talking about American Christianity, like I feel like sometimes where it seems to be getting wrong, especially now, is this, you know, in the first. Uh, verses of chapter 4 where it's like, you know, don't be part of these drinking parties and lie with idolatry, like stay away from that. And then Christians forget about the next part, keep loving one another earnestly. Because I think what sometimes happens is you're so afraid to touch sin, you can't love those who sin anymore. Like, I feel like that's somehow Christianity is giving a bad name because of uh, especially certain churches who are like, I can't interact with these people, I am going to malign them because they are sinners and I am above them. And this part about where Jesus loved those sinners, Jesus sat with the tax collectors, Jesus sat with, you know, the adulterers and the prostitutes. And I feel like Christianity sometimes in so much fear of sin that we forget to love it. Yeah. Not love sin. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, what is we we are uh, almost out of time or out of time? But what an interesting thing that you said was who is Peter talking about in verse three? Who are the sinners? The Gentiles, right? Sometimes, like in Paul, in Paul's letters, who are the sinners he's talking to? Christians, right? That's fine, right? In the, so Peter right now is talking about sinners who are Gentiles. A few verses later, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. One could argue, which sins is he talking about? The ones committed by Christians or the ones committed by the world? Going to, the, going to your point. If he's talking about, just, he just talked about the world, so could he be saying, hey man, we actually love those people. No, he's not talking about, hey, we love you just the way you are. Keep doing what you're doing. No, no, that's not how I'm... It's like the love that's right. 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 What Jesus did. Yeah. Brought people to salvation by going and seeking them out. Yeah. Not by shunning them and maligning them. Right. One could even say, 
verse 3 is a multitude of sins. Read all the sins in verse 3. That's a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, depending on where you go to church, the word covers is going to be translated differently. Love covers a multitude. Love is blind to those multitude of sins. It covers it up, right? Is that what it's saying? Is that, in the context of just 1 Peter, is, does that sound like what, 1 Peter is actually, what Peter is actually telling us? Like, does it actually, like if you read the, the rest of the, be self-controlled, sober-minded, but we'll close our eyes to all these things that are going on in your life, right? That doesn't sound at all like what Peter is saying. Let's finish up just with this quote, and then we'll go. Love, nothing is stronger against the wiles of the devil, dearly beloved, than the kindness, mercy, and generosity of love, through which every sin, here we go, Leah, is either avoided or conquered. Right? Leo the Great. Receive your neighbor as you're receiving Christ. And in that way, you always serve him with joy. There's so much more that we could keep talking about. Man, we really ramped up here in the, uh, in the second half. So thank you very much. I always have fun in here. Anything uh, that we need to say about I think next week is just normal, right? We meet a week from today. And... Uh, we we'll pray for those who couldn't be here today and welcome to anybody who came in. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.